Annenberg Media. This is the Annenberg Learner Podcast, where we aim to elevate the education profession through conversations that inspire, recognize, and encourage innovation and best practices in the field. We track the lived experience of teachers, students, and parents alongside the ecosystem that serves them. Guest speakers will share what's working and the steps we can take to reimagine and redesign teaching and learning for our most vulnerable populations. Hi there, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the Annenberg Learner Podcast. Um, I'd like to introduce our very special guest today. Aider Rodriguez is a National Board Certified Teacher, is a bilingual and bicultural high school teacher who received her bachelor's in history from San Diego State University and earned a graduate degree in education from Stanford University. As a graduate student at Stanford, she participated in the founding of East Palo Alto High School, an urban college prep student-centered teacher-led school. And in 2005, she became a national board certified teacher and has worked tirelessly to increase the teacher's voice at the local, state, and national levels. Although her specialization is in history, she has also taught theater, AP Spanish language and literature, AP government, ELD and is currently teaching AVID journalism as well as being the AVID coordinator at Central Union High School. In 2014, Rodriguez was appointed by Governor Brown to the Commission on Teacher Credentialing, where she chaired the Educator Preparation Committee and served as liaison to the Committee on Accreditation. She also served on the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards from 2009 until 2017. Aide has received various awards and fellowships. In 2016, she was named Stanford GSC Alumni of Excellence. She was also named Woman of the Year by both her assembly member, Eduardo Garcia, and State Senator Ben Hueso for her commitment to equity, access, and social justice in education. In 2001, she received the Governor's Teaching Fellowship and was named NCSS Student Teacher of the Year. And in 2008, she was named ACSA of Imperial County Teacher of the Year and was selected by Rotary International to represent Southern California in Ghana and Togo. Aider, it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast. I'm really excited to learn about all these accomplishments and um, to share your uh, journey with our learner audience. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I would love to learn a little bit about uh, your role at the California State Board of Education. According to the website, it says the 11 member State Board of Education is California's K-12 policy making body for academic standards, curriculum, instructional materials, assessments, and accountability. That sounds like a lot. Uh, can you give us a sense of what this work is actually like? Absolutely. First of all, you know, I want to uh, extend acknowledgement to Governor Newsom for uh, having appointed a classroom teacher. And I've been told by a few people that even though a lot of the people on the board are edu former educators uh, or maybe administrators, but in, in recent history and maybe in the state board's history, I may be the only actual classroom teacher. So it's very important because as teachers, we're the ones, uh, you know, who are putting a lot of these policies that the state board makes into uh, into practice. And the, the board members that I haven't met in person because we've all been in Zoom since I was appointed, 
are so thoughtful uh, in their comments. They're incredibly well-prepared people. Uh, I've learned a lot from being in the meetings and we all bring our perspective in, which is a beautiful way to make decisions, right? So it's not one person making decisions. We all have our different input and my lens is um, the teacher lens. Additionally, I, while I, I don't represent the student voice because of my proximity to students, I, I feel that I have a pretty good pulse, at least of what my students who live in a, in a historically marginalized community um, who live, we live on the border and uh, with a huge uh, Latino population, you know, it's, I feel like I have a, my, my hand on the pulse of what my, my students need. And so I, I learn a lot. I learn a lot from be, going through this process. It's a lot of work. We meet every other month and in order to make decisions and vote on decisions, it's essential to prepare, to read the agenda items, to listen to our community partners when they call with concerns about a particular agenda item. You know, going through the decision-making process, the that I know will impact our all of all of our students and families in California and teachers. I take this responsibility very seriously. I also serve as the liaison to the Commission on Teacher Credentialing, which I was on for six years. And so I'm able to sit in the meetings and, you know, give reports to the state board about, you know, the, the things that connect, especially with the teacher shortage, teacher preparation, all of those matters, right, you know, that, that concern the board, serve in that role. I'm also the liaison for ELD, you know, I'm able to go back and report to the board so that the, the different board members have different assignments. So that, that way, right, you know, one board member can't be on top of everything that's happening when it comes to whether it's the CTC or the IQC, et cetera. And that way, during the liaison reports, we're all kept abreast of everything that's going on. Um, so uh, interesting that you brought up the, the teacher uh, shortage, and I also read about the subs shortage. I'm curious how, either in your opinion or your research and experience, how can we get more people interested in teaching and through that pipeline? Maybe you could talk a little bit about what the credentialing process looks like now and what, if anything, would need to change to meet the need in California. This is an issue that, that we've grappled with since I was on the Commission on Teacher Credentialing. You know, we want to diversify the teacher workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, And we want to make sure that we have that we create interest in in younger people or maybe even career changers like myself to go into the teaching profession. And it's a problem. And I believe that some of the teacher shortage has been just a response to a lot of the changes that are happening in our in our society. In, you know, in, in a lot of places, teachers are severely underpaid. Oftentimes, when something happens, teachers, we kind of bear the brat of problems that occur in society. We're blamed for, oh, it's the teachers and this and that, when we're actually part of a system. And as that system is, is changing, whether it's for the better, in a direction that, that may be very stressful, you know, teachers will be pulled in all of these directions. And so one of the things that I think happens is as a teacher, 
I'm just complaining all the time about my, oh my God, this and that. And, you know, I may be excellent at executing uh, a lesson plan, but if I don't look happy, if I'm complaining about everything, a student looking at me isn't going to want my job. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I want to make sure that, um, I, that I'm projecting. I'm, I'm so excited about some of my former students who are teachers just, you know, in the recent past, um, Itzel Perez, who was just a, a marvelous student and is, has now joined the teaching profession. Christina Hernandez, who was one of my AP Spanish language students, is just this marvelous teacher here in our community amongst many others. And that excites me because I know that they will be a model for their generations. Uh, as teachers, we have to remember that, that we're models for the young people that are sitting there and be mindful that we want, as teachers, we want to recruit uh, talented young people into the profession, right? Whether we know it or not, we are, they're looking at us. Students are always looking at us. And second, I think that, you know, I'm a career changer. So I didn't start out as a teacher. I didn't have a favorable experience in high school. I'm actually a high school dropout. I didn't feel that the school responded to my needs, whether it was my social emotional needs, especially my uh, cultural needs, right? I, acknowledging my heritage and making me feel like it was a place where I belonged. That memory is very much alive with me. And then I remember my teachers being all stressed out and they didn't seem happy to be there. So the last thing I wanted to be was a teacher. Because of that, that was the image that I had in mind. I didn't want to be somebody who pushed people down the way I felt that I was being pushed down. Um, or silenced. And I didn't want to be somebody that looked unhappy. And so I joined um, the the corporate world. uh, And I was in um, a corporate recruiter. And so what I knew how to do was interview. And when I became a teacher, it it was on my way to law school. Hmm. And and it's important to mention that that as as a Mexican woman, because I felt like I didn't have any respect societally, I thought, I'm going to become an attorney. I'm going to become a labor lawyer and people will respect me because I'm a lawyer and I'll have power. Okay. So that's what I thought. And in a very roundabout way, I was asked to substitute a class while I was on my way to law school, which happened to be at the continuation high school, which was students who had dropped out of high school like me. And I was reluctant, but I did it. Day one, I fell in love. I just, I looked at students who were, it was me looking back at me. And I, one of my friends who was just a marvelous teacher and and mentor for me, I asked him the day before, I said, Jimmy, I don't know how to teach. He was a, he was a band teacher um, and just, you know, the epitome of greatness. And he, And Jimmy said to me, every child has something beautiful inside of them. A good teacher can see it and a great teacher can show it to them. And he said, be a great teacher. I, that, that, that guides me every single day that I'm in the classroom to be that mirror that I didn't have. Uh, You know, I went in and, and what I knew how to do was interview people. So that's what I did. I interviewed all of my students. Right. And that way I could tailor uh, what it was that they needed for their learning. And I thought, what can I do so that nobody has to go through the pain that I went through? when I dropped out of high school and the pain that my students are going through. And so I found out that um, 
Stanford uh, School of Education had the best adolescent development program. And I looked into it and that is how I changed my career path. And I don't regret a single day because I, I was looking for power, not the, and I found it. Mm-hmm. I found it because I, I know power is something that we have inside. It's not a title. It's, it's something that just makes your soul richer. And I know that when, you know, at the end of, at, at the end, when my computer is shutting down for the last time, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. You know, the, the experiences that I've had with my students of being the mirror for them yeah. will always be there. So that's what I, that's what I hope that, that young people who want to make a difference, who want to academically enrich people's lives, but also culturally and social, emotionally, uh, that they go, yeah, I want to be a teacher. And not just that but make the profession stronger, right? And be the voices, whether it's on state boards or other policymaking bodies, but be that voice so that we have a system that embraces teacher voice and and helps students grow. Ah, That's so inspiring, Aide. I got chills listening to you share about helping students see what's good in them. I think if every teacher in the classroom had that uh, guided them, it would we would see a lot of joy in the classroom. As part of its mission to advance excellent teaching in American schools, Annenberg Learner funds and distributes educational video programs with coordinated online and print materials for the professional development of K-12 teachers. Many programs are also intended for students in the classroom and viewers at home with videos that exemplify excellent teaching. K-12 educators, students, and lifelong learners may access Annenberg Learner resources for free at learner.org. Please note, rights restrictions may limit the availability of some series. For the latest information about learner programming and availability, sign up for the Annenberg Learner newsletter at learner.org. I understand that the pandemic has uh, significantly impacted not only student lives, but teacher lives. And earlier you, you made the point that teachers often carry the brunt of a lot of what else is happening outside the classroom. How did the pandemic change your work in the classroom and what is here to stay and what were some of the lessons learned for you? There were so many lessons and one of, one of the things that became very clear to me as soon as our, our schools closed down was there are certain roles that teachers have which kind of come across as naggy to students like remember to do this do this do this or or constant I don't want to say monitoring because I monitor my students learning rather than being an academic authority or an authority on student learning and student growth authoritarian monitoring every moment that the student is um, you know doing like just a lot of doing what happens is I notice that my students would rely on sort of like that outside monitor. And when, when schools closed down, they didn't have an internal monitor to say, oh, you have to do this, you have to do this. And so it was, that's one of the things that my students really struggled with, that um, independent learning and, and not doing something just to check it off, check off a list 
but actually the, like you just said, the joy, the joy in learning. And so it occurred to me that we really need to work harder to have the students become that internal voice that motivates them, right? To just really build those independent skills. And also, you know, so another lesson for me, actually something that really excites me is how much of my students became comfortable emailing. Because prior to that, if I would send an email, nobody would read it. And so with the pandemic, like they, they got really comfortable emailing and then little things like me telling them pro tip, um, use, fill in the subject line, right? You know, find a sub and that started helping the students develop, like is, uh, being able to, to boil something down to, to the essentials Mm -hmm. and what is it they were writing and, so giving them feedback on that and helping that skill grow. And I've noticed students that email me now, even though they're not in my class, they got that lesson, right? And, you know, those are the soft skills that we talked about, but also the technology. Sure. Um, having students understand that it's not just about being tech natives as these generations get, you know, like, oh, they're tech natives. They know what's happening. But how can we harness that? so that they're actually using tools to learn and not just using tools to get something done. Also, another thing that really broke my heart was the whole digital divide and realizing that some students don't have the economic resources to get their needs met, right? And um, again, you know, very, very grateful that I live in a state that responded to that immediately and made sure that our students had the tools to do the work that they needed to do. Other lessons is how much I just love being back in person Mm. and hearing their laughter, right? You know, there's, because when we were online, everybody was on mute. And if I said something funny, which I usually did, by the way, (laughs) um, I had to, I had a little laugh box, so I'd have to push the button and so that I could hear laughter and then they would crack up. But you know, if, if something funny happens for us to be able to laugh collectively, because there's a lot of healing in that. Mm. And for me personally, one of the lessons is, you know, we, we know our students um, undergo serious mental health issues. I've taken psychology classes, but I don't have the skills for working with uh, depression or serious mental health issues. I can provide a safe space for them to process, you know, refer them to people who can help them if they have something, something bigger that they need to get through. My students are incredibly grateful to be back in person. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it feels like when I, when I go to a store that, wow, did we learn the lessons of the pandemic? I, I think that my students did, at least the students that I have are mm-hmm. so grateful to be back, whether it's their mask wearing or, Uh, Whatever they have to do to keep each other safe, you know, makes my heart overflow with joy because they want to be there and they want to take care of each other. Sounds like a, like you've created a really beautiful space for them to, to learn and, and, and grow. Um, I'm curious, can you, can you share a little bit about your students and the community you serve? Uh, Imperial County is on the border with Mexicali and Mexicali has about a 2 million the population is about 2 million. And so we're a border community. When I was growing up, I lived in Calexico and we would cross every single day. 
it was it was very different back then. Now, and especially after 9-11, sometimes the lines are very long. But my students, a lot of them, they call Mexicali mix. So when I ask them what they're going to be doing over the break or over the weekend, oh, I'm going to go to Mex because they have their grandparents live there, their families there. You know, my students are transnational. They're back and forth all of the time. And not that they have tremendous resources, like, for example, exchanging money in their head. I'll hear them converting pesos to dollars, but they're failing their math classes, right? So how is that? And I tell them, how is it, right? Oh, I'm not a math person. And I see them like doing this boom, 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 quicker than I can. So I think I tell them, I think you are a math person. Um, maybe you've just, you know, it's different when you, you have some kind of a blog when you go into your classroom. One time I had a student who was really struggling with, with equations. And um, although I'm not a math teacher, but we were in avid class and I, and I was, I sat down with her and I said, so what's going on? And I said, look, you know what? Why don't you just not think about math right now? I need to, I'm having a party this weekend and this is how my budget. And these are how many, this is how much stuff is going to cost. Can you help me with it? She's like, yeah, of course. Uh, it was all <laughs> equations, right? Oh, but if I only have, you know, this much money for tables and she's like, oh, why don't we take away from this? And do you really need to have these fly? And so she, and so anyway, when we were done, <laughs> I said, you just did equations. And she's <laughs> like, what do you mean? And I said, I'm really not having a party. <laughs> I, said, I said, you're, I, you know, and it was just, it was actually something very spontaneous because I know that she's really good at organizing things and parties. And so I thought, how can I use something that she's really good at? Yes. So that she can see how equations work. And she got it and she laughed. There's some skills innate skills and some skills that they've developed. They don't yet see how those can transfer into academics, right? Mm -hmm. And that's um, our job as teachers to be able to show them that. About 87% of our population is um, Latino, Mexican, and there's diversity within my students. Um, They may all fall under the Mexican umbrella, but there's a lot of diversity within that. The story that you shared about them budgeting for a party just re- reminds me of how beautiful it is to have a teacher and someone really know you that can take this little bit of information that they have about you and help you make that connection, especially at tech. And, um, you know, we think technology is going to solve a lot of things. But when I hear something like this, it reminds me how much human element and really understanding a student and where they're coming from helps with the learning process. Absolutely. And that's, that's the crux of national board certification, right? Know your students. Um, That is the golden rule, know your students. And when we know our students, we know when something's going on with them, Mm-hmm. We know uh, what they like, who they are, and we're, like you said, right, we're able to connect with them on that level and find something that interests them. Right now, I have some, um, some students who are in my world history class, <laughs> and every time we study, they're very much into astrology. I mean, like, deeply into astrology. But they know, like, they have all of this knowledge about astrology. And so, we, you know, we'll be studying Napoleon and they'll go, they'll Google him. He was a Leo. 
And then stuff that he does, he'll say, they'll go, that is so Leo. (laughs) And and so it's, I mean, like Robespierre in the French Revolution, you know, they found his astrological sign and that's how they embrace what we're looking at, right? And so rather than saying, oh, astrology, it's a pseudoscience or, right, you know, like I'm not going to belittle anyone or put anybody down. I'll use what they know and have them connect to what we're studying. I actually set aside a little project for them so that they can use some of the historical characters and tie that into astrology. And they're very excited about it. I love that. That sounds like a great project. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I'll keep you posted on it. The Annenberg Foundation is a family foundation that provides funding and support to nonprofit organizations in the U.S. and globally. The foundation is dedicated to addressing the critical issues of our time through innovation, community, compassion, and communication. To learn more, go to annenberg.org. Thinking back on your, your first years of teaching, what advice would you give yourself? Well, you know, my first years of teaching, I wanted to do so much, right? And again, because I came from the private sector where I would work uh, 12, 15 hours a day sometimes. I, I, you know, I had a lot of energy and, and just wanted to do so much. And I think that what I would tell myself is, well, you know, I was going to say, don't do so much. But when I look back, I'm happy that You know, there was one year when I was doing uh, coaching mock trial and also coaching academic and I was, I was going nuts with that. Uh, But I wouldn't change that. I, you know, I, I would tell myself to find my strengths Hmm. and use them to bring out the strengths in my students and help them develop a path and to not expect that they're going to be like me and my own experiences help me to see that we don't come in as empty sacks, Mm -hmm. right? We have a lot of experiences, maybe to rest a little bit. That's what I would tell myself. It's okay to rest. How do you, um, how do you rest now? What revitalizes you? Drawing and not very well. Like you're not talking to a Van Gogh here, by the way, or (laughs) Amido or a Tamayo, but I like to, um, I consider myself very creative, hmm. not necessarily artistic. And so my classrooms are like little incubators where uh, a lot of the expression that happens in there is creative expression. Uh, I draw, I doodle, and I belong to this group. Every day we produce something. It's called 50 Days of Making. And we share it on Instagram. And so I've put like my doodles and my art out there. And, um, and so people have seen it. And, and it's really nice because I, I don't care if people don't like it. And that's kind of what I want my students to feel comfortable with. So it's really funny because this year, uh, last year, actually, when we came back for a short period in, in April, a few students came back to school uh, with very strong conditions they had to have the temperature checks. And what I did with my students is we made a book and I taught them how to make a book. And I learned this from the National Writing Project many in 1998, my first year teaching. So I taught them how to bind a book. I bought all of the materials. I bought watercolors. And I told them, I said, you know, this is what we're going to do. 
and you're going to make a book and you're going to chronicle. This will be like a, a primary source of what you're going through during the pandemic. And so that's what we did during that time. I played music that they liked. They developed, I asked them to give me songs for a playlist and I played music and we all just painted and drew and wrote this year. I don't know what the vibe my classroom is giving off, but I have students coming by and dropping off their artwork and like for me to hang up on my wall. And so I, I'm not an art teacher. And again, I'm not an artist, but it's that, you know, uh, using creativity and art for them to express themselves. It's, it's very cool. And that, and so that's what I do and garden. Um, I love working out in the garden and hanging out with the bees, taking care of nature uh, for, you know, my enjoyment and for posterity. Wonderful. We'll definitely need to get your Instagram um, handle so we can share it. I'm curious also about your other teachers. How do you continue to share best practices or learn from others? What does that look like for you? You know, this, this year has been one of the hard things also about the pandemic is that as teachers, we just came back and haven't really had a chance to sit down and talk to each other. Some colleagues that I'm very close to, uh, Renee, Alejandra, and uh, Robin, and we share things that we're doing and things that are that are working well, and it's wonderful. We share common students, so we always look for ways to support them. And so that's just a group that uh, we all taught AVID together. Actually, Alejandra, uh, Rene, and I still do. Robin used to be part of that group. And so we supported each other during the pandemic. We support each other in supporting students. When we know that a student needs something, we reach out to each other. And again, with the best practices, with new teachers, I always make myself available to see if there's any way that I can support them, especially as they're going through their induction process. But they're so busy that I think they just go into their classrooms and try to get through the day. And, and then they have somebody that's assigned to them to support them through that process. But one of the things that's happened this year is I'm on the social emotional learning team at school. And so there are four of us who have gotten together during advisory time to plan activities for our students. And that has been such a blessing because two of the teachers there our paths probably would have never crossed on campus, you know, during this time, which is a very short period of time, but we're connecting with each other. We're supporting each other. And I, I can't stress enough how important it is for schools to really make time for teachers to sit down mm-hmm. and share common practices and share about their students, how they can support them, you know, have some type of a, a rubric for conversations, right? Like, uh, like, like we did when, when I was at East Palo Alto high school, we had time to sit down and say, you know, I've noticed this in my advisory class. I've noticed that this student is, um, hasn't been talking much to others lately. What are you seeing? Right. And being able to, well, you know, we can refer him to the counselor, And then somebody else might know, well, you know, I coach him in soccer and one of the students told me that his mother's sick, right? And when we can communicate and and as teachers, 
be diagnosticians like doctors are, rather than look at our students as problems, but look at them as how can we find out what's going on so that we can support them. That is very powerful. And I'm, I'm in a traditional comprehensive high school now, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I, would, I would like to see, this is, this is my wish list, for us to be able to have time to do that, break up a certain number of students and just have teachers responsible for them, for lack of a better word, right? You know, and, to, and not that many so that it's overwhelming and impossible, but a few that we can come together and, and uh, talk about and support. Yes, I, I love that model. It also gives the students somebody that they can feel that's on their side, their champion for mm-hmm. that covers their whole person. And it's not just subject specific. Right, right. And, and, you know, we've done similar things like that, like, you know, get to know one student at least really well. Um, we've done that at our school. But if, if, you know, if we're using those ideas in a comprehensive traditional model, it becomes very hard to really execute the idea so I think that that we really need to see how how many, the time, right, to make sure that teachers have enough time to do that and to be able to schedule that into the day so that it does happen and there is good follow through because the students and the teachers all benefit. I don't know. I have a dream of redesigning the school day completely, but... <laughs> That's another conversation. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And there are, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm very excited about is um, at our last state board meeting, we had a conversation about community schools mm. and the whole wraparound model and, you know, uh, creating places that respond to the communities. And so that is something that's that's coming down the pike in California. And that is very exciting because within that, there are opportunities for redesign uh, to meet adolescent students' needs. That's great to hear. And I love to see where we end up. And it's been so hard to make change in education, but I think has happened in the last two years. Although unfortunate, uh, we're really kind of thinking hard about our public education. Mm -hmm. Yes. Be a part of America's Student Support Network. Become a tutor, a mentor, or serve to support young people through quality opportunities today. Go to GetReadySet.org to learn how you can help. And if you are located in California, you can volunteer to tutor online today by going to StepUpTutoring.org. StepUpTutoring's mission is to drive student success by providing free online tutoring and mentorship to elementary school students in 3rd through 6th grades. Help spread the word. Prospective tutors may apply online through the StepUpTutoring website website at stepuptutoring.org. Um, I have just a couple more questions, but I'm curious, uh, where, where do you see yourself in five years? I, I love being in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there comes a time uh, before retirement where I, I feel like I'm not serving my students, then it's time to do something different. Mm-hmm. However, there is something that I have been thinking about now for a year and a half, and that is a program in, at, in, in a New Mexico university, and it's a master's in art therapy. I could be a counselor. I think there's a counseling degree and, you know, art therapy. I would love to do that, take the time, and I can't this year. 
Uh, but I'm, I'm seriously thinking of applying for that next year because I think that I can use a lot of those skills with my students and then perhaps move into counseling, uh, school counseling uh, toward, you know, as, a, as I'm getting ready to retire. Within that, there would be a lot of opportunities. And with uh, a master's in art therapy, I would be able to work with little children as well. That's something that I'd love to do in the future. And something that I'm doing right now is this year I was selected to be the United States Institute of Peace, peace teacher for California. Wow. Yes, yes. Thank you. And it's very exciting because I I do believe conflict exists. It it should remain as nonviolent conflict. Once violence happens, we all lose. Um, You know, and I'm definitely a, a person who advocates for peace at all levels. And so it's very exciting. I have always wanted to participate in something with the United States Institute of Peace. And this opportunity opened up. They've never had a teacher from California. Um, and so I'm, I'm the first and my students are peace builders. Uh, my ninth graders are actually the ones that are learning about using diplomatic tools for conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to create children's books and we're going to share those books. They're going to take like these peace building tools and pick a, a conflict that they have, that they've witnessed or that they know about within their own school setting. And um, then they'll write a book about it and the resolution and we'll share it with the younger students here in, in El Centro. That's lovely. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited about it. It really is. It was a dream come true to have been selected. I'm so happy about it. Thank you for sharing that. And that's such a big accomplishment. And also the work that the students will do will be incredible. Uh, Is there anything else that you would like to share with us? Well, you know, I again, thank you so much for for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Um, I do hope that we can find creative ways to recruit um, teachers of color and to recruit new teachers into what I consider the most beautiful profession in the world, Uh, right? You know, we have the privilege of accessing young hearts and young minds, and it's not a privilege to take lightly. It's exciting to me to to be part of, um, you know, the Sandenberg podcast because when uh, we started the school in East Palo Alto and I was a student teacher, my classroom was featured in the culturally responsive pedagogy. And it was a lesson that a group of teachers and myself designed and it had to do with colonization. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we read Bartolome de las Casas, my students did. And well, we all read it and just looked at some of the, the, changes in culture and colonization. And so it was, and it was the Annenberg project, you know, that, so it's, it's nice to reconnect this way. Yes, yes, definitely. We, um, we have beautiful series that a lot of our educators around the world actually access. And it's great to be interviewing you and coming full circle after so many years and watching your journey. (laughs) Yes, thank you. And the the series is wonderful. I often go in, I I receive the emails and I often go in there for my own professional development, right? Because it's something that I can do here at home. 
Um, I can, you know, uh, sit in my comfy chair on my iPad and watch some of these lessons and they're really masterful. So great curation, you know, on, on that. Thank you. Thank you, Ida. Thank you for your time today. It's been an honor to hear about your work and um, to continue to follow you. We know that you're going to continue to do a lot of great things. You've done so much already. And thank you for your time today. All right. Thank you. The Annenberg Learner Podcast joins the catalog of multimedia professional learning content to support educators teaching in more effective ways. Annenberg Learner is the education division of the Annenberg Foundation. Learner supports the foundation's mission to encourage the development of more effective ways to share ideas and knowledge. Go to learner.org and annenberg.org to learn more.